Culture Affidavit, episode 145. All right, all right, all right. Hello and welcome to episode 145 of Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that takes a look at everything random in the world of popular culture, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. And if you were with me last episode, you heard me talk to Rob Kelly about George Lucas's 1973 hit, American Graffiti, the 1950s and early 1960s throwback movie that really was the beginning of the sort of nostalgia based film that used a rock and roll soundtrack. So for this episode, we're going to fast forward 20 years to 1993 and about 14 years in movie time to 1976 to talk about what is kind of a companion piece and is a great double feature to American Graffiti. Richard Linklater's Dazed and Confused. Amanda's back. She's here to talk with me because she's the only person I could think about to talk Dazed and Confused with. So I'm going to take a break now. And after this trailer, we can come back with our conversation about the film. Stick around. Hey kids, comics! It was the dawn of a new age of comic book podcasting. Hey Kids Comics was a dream given form. A place where two generations of comic book fans could work out their differences, peaceably. It was a humorous place where nothing was sacrosanct and it was our last, best hope for joy. But all things end. But from endings can come new beginnings. This is the return of a comic book podcast. The year is 2023. The name of the show is Hey Kids Comics. Michael and Andrew are back with an all-new look at old comics and all old looks at new comics. You can go home again. Hey Kids Comics, monthly from Two True Freaks and wherever you get your comics-related podcasts. Hey Kids Comics! This country is founded by people who were into aliens, man. George Washington, man, he was in a cult. And the cult was in the aliens, man. You didn't know that? No. Oh, man, they were way into that type of stuff, man. getting air from there, man. It's no good. It was the last day of school. Uh, Miss Crawford, I was thinking that maybe you and I can get together over the summer. I mean, it'll be legal. I mean, it can make... It was the first day of summer vacation. You guys know anything about a party here tonight? No, sir. It was a time they will never forget. There's a new fiesta in the making as we speak. I thought he was cute. Oh, that's you thought he was cute? Do you realize when he graduated, we were like three years old? If only they could remember it. Okay. 
So you're not gonna go to law school? What do you want to do then? I want to dance. You gonna be quarterback next year? I don't know, I might not even play. You're in need of a serious attitude adjustment, young man. Super dominant male in a 50s greaser uniform. That's what I love about these high school girls, man. I get older, they stay the same age. <laughs> the 50s were boring, the 60s rock, the 70s, oh my god, they obviously suck. Dazed and confused, see it with a bud. Behind every good man, there's a woman. And that woman was Martha Washington, man. And every day George would come home, she'd have a big, fat bowl waiting for him, man, when he'd come in the door, man. She was a hip, a hip, hip lady, man. I had said on the, at the very, very end of my last episode, because my last episode was American Graffiti, that I was going to do this, and the only, I thought of the only person I could think of was, of talking about this movie with was you. Okay. Because, um, well, not, we're obviously, we're the same age. Um... <laughs> Yes. This movie, I think, hit both of us around the same time, even though we weren't, we didn't even know each other yet. But something we'll talk about later is that lines from this film have kind of made it their way into our kind of lexicon as a yeah as a couple. I mean, like I think the thing the the best example of, of that is the way we of that kind of phenomenon is the way that we are constantly quoting the same, like four Simpsons episodes, but yeah, but, um, but Days of Confused and Empire Records is another one. Or it's just one of those movies where, um, there'll be like random lines where we will, we will use, or we have used in the past and stuff like that. And we, neither of us really needed to watch this movie to talk about it. We have seen it so many times. So it's a formative movie and I thought it'd be really cool to just sit down and, yeah. Talk about the movie. Well, you talk about the lexicon, uh, or the lines making it into the lexicon. I mean, you think about Matthew McConaughey. I mean, all right, all right, all right is basically his entire personality yeah, yeah. at this point. That and naked bongo playing. And yes. that's pretty much Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. In fact, all right, all right, all right is the title of the oral history of Dates and Confused by Melissa Of course Bears. it is. Um, and it's an excellent book. I did not know until I read the acknowledgments of that book, by the way, that um, her husband is Chuck Klosterman. Oh, well, that's convenient. <laughs> but but um, it's it's really, really worth reading. I found it in the library randomly one day, and I was like, oh, this is on my wish list, and I checked it out. So I'm not going to go into a lot of background on the making of the movie. Sure. Because they go into a lot of that. I do know that um, there was some a lot of back and forth about release. It was marketed terribly. Yeah. Because Linklater wrote a... Um, Essentially, a coming-of-age movie that's a lot like, like American Graffiti, like I mentioned. Gramercy, who I think was distributed by Universal, okay, marketed it like a stoner comedy. Yeah. And yes. Kind of like a half-baked. Kind of like half-baked and, and whatever those other, yeah. And if you ever watched the original trailer, you can totally see it. And there's that tagline, it was the last day of high school in 1996. It was a day they never get, if only they could remember, or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And such, but before we get into all kind of the background and plot summary, um, I always love to start conversations about movies or TV shows or whatever we do about like what your origin story is. Like, how did you find this movie and such? Yeah, the, I was trying to think about that for for this, and I it, I want to say, I mean, I never saw it in theaters because, like you said, it was marketed horribly, um, 
I think it might have been either, but it might have been senior year because if I, as I've said, I probably said this before because I've been on your podcast several times, but like my, me and my best friend in high school, Chris, we'd go, because we're old, we'd go to the video store mm-hmm. and we'd rent a lot of independent movies. And so I think the first time I saw it, we saw it, we rented it and watched it because we were like, oh yeah, this looks cute or, you know, good or whatever. And, you know, I think... At the time, and this might be further down in in your plan, in your in your notes, your double sided two page notes, um, where we, um, especially our our generation, I think had like kind of this obsession with the seventies, kind of the way millennials started loving, like younger millennials, Gen Z started like going after the nineties, like a couple years ago. You saw the clueless callbacks and stuff like that. I mean, we had, like, a lot of 70s nostalgia. I think I've said before, our class motto as seniors in high school was staying alive in 95. So there was just a lot of that whole vibe. And then, you know, when I got to college, I joined a sorority. One of my best friends from college, we roomed together second year um, in the sorority house. And one of the movies we always watch, in addition to Girls Just Want to Have Fun and Point Break, was Dazed and Confused. So those are, like, our top three you got home from the party, you got home from the bar, you just needed something to chill out to and laugh at, and that's that's when I watched it to the point where I could probably recite the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, mine involved the video store, too, because, like, again, I had no life in high school. I practically lived at Video Empire, and I would rent anything that looked good, especially when I started branching out beyond action movies. Mm-hmm. It was, like, through elementary, middle, elementary, seriously, Schwarzenegger movies in elementary school. Okay. What the fuck? But middle, We're the feral generation. Yeah, like, nobody cares. Junior high school, and then in early high school, it was a lot of the Van Damme and the Seagal and all that. And at some point or another, like, I started, I, I went down, like, kind of the teen comedy rabbit hole because I saw Better Off Dead on television, and I saw Breakfast Club on television, I was renting those. So I saw this, the trailer for this movie when I rented another movie, because remember how back yeah, you know, they used trailers, and I was the type to, if I'd rented the movie for the first time, I actually would watch the trailers before the movie, because every once in a while there was a movie that actually looked really cool, and I made note of it and went and rented it, um, and I saw the trailer for this movie, and I had, um, and I was like, this looks really, really cool, and I filed it away, and I think I might have remembered seeing a television commercial for it, but I don't remember, and I do know that it did play at the local movie theater, because I remember walking by one day and I saw it on the marquee and I was like, oh, I should go and see that. And then it was like, gone. Um, the release date of the movie, by the way, was September 24th, 1993, and it came out on video in January of 94. So I didn't rent it until probably like August of night, so like right before I started my senior year of high school. I think I watched it like, I remember seeing it that summer because when I got back to school, I wasn't the only one who had seen it, mm-hmm. and friends of mine were recording it, and I had a friend on the, in the journalism class, and she did this, like, dead-on impersonation of Parker Posey, so the whole yeah. air raid bit was, like, a kind of a running thing. So it was it was getting quoted in that way in the same way we were quoting lines from, like, The State and yeah. things like that, because like, it was, like, this cool movie that not everybody had seen, and, um, and I think I saw it, like, once or twice, but it wasn't until I got to college where somebody had a copy and we it would just was in the rotation with Friday, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, Clerks, 
Um, no girls just want to have fun. No for girls you. just want to have uh, fun. No, you're sorry. lost. You're and probably a couple of Star Wars movies. And this was another rotation. We would watch it pretty constantly. Um, I obtained my own copy through the uh, very uh, much our generation means of taking two VCRs and hooking them together and making a dub. You had it on VHS, though. I think you had the. Um, I may have the. Oh, the, yeah, this yeah, cover, yeah. The, yeah. the classic cover with um, everybody making faces, the making faces and stuff like that, and and the um, the the, the stone looking smiley face. I think yeah. was on there. The you got me this for either my birthday or Christmas one year. This is the Criterion Collection uh, DVD of Days and Confused, which came out a number of years ago, and it has a it's a two disc set. It's, it's gorgeous packaging, of course, because it's the Criterion Collection. So it's got the movie. It's got a whole disc of extras. The I think I geeked out and watched the commentary at one point. There's. Um, Oh, a notebook. A book full of stuff. And I think there's a poster. Yes, there is a poster. Which is... Um, I'm sorry, but that is ugly. Uh, funny enough, this was going to be the original poster for the movie. And then because the studio went with the stoner aspect of it, they nixed this poster. But it is one of the few things that is absolute proof that Renee Zellweger I was going to say, that looks more like Renee Zellweger than her walk-by part in the movie. Finding Renee Zellweger in Days and Confused is like... A, it, it's, it's like, where's Waldo? It's Wal, where's Waldo? You take a journey. I mean, you, I know what scene she's in, yeah. but I, I yeah. mean, it's blinking, you'll miss it. It also doesn't help that her and Joey Lauren Adams look just enough alike. They do look that, very yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so basically, and then, yeah, then it just became kind of like one of the movies that you just constantly had in rotation and stuff like that and like i said it came out it came out in 94 uh, 93 september 93 the budget for it was 6.9 million i think a significant portion of that went to the soundtrack like these yeah getting the rights for those songs it made only 7.9 million which unlike american graffiti which american graffiti was made for like seven hundred and seventy five thousand dollars, and it grossed like to this day has grossed like a couple hundred million dollars it was like one of universal's best return on investments ever mm. this was not a bomb but it it underperformed and it was richard link later doing um his first studio movie after slacker which was his like indie big indie hit that garnered a, i actually covered it about a year and a half ago on an episode and it garnered a lot of critical praise it's it's definitely an art house film, but kind of like Kevin Smith had the kind of same thing where he had clerks and clerks made this huge impact in the indie scene and the same exact studio gave him money to make mall rats and mall rats, which we both love anyway, because it's just fun, but mall yeah, rats tanked. It did. Yeah. You know, what's, I mean like slacker, I'm sure this isn't a hot take, but that movie is so fucking boring. I'm sorry. <laughs> like it is boring. I fell. Remember we tried to watch it. I had to watch it for a film class. So we house, watched I it together. I, we were in my yeah. room, and it, this is gonna sound more salacious than it was. We were watching the movie. I fell asleep. You were watching it. I was just like, oh my god, it was so yeah. boring. But it, it is very much a. It has the feel of that sort of early '90s Gen X hipster. Listen, it was vibe. it was yeah. mumblecore. It was mumblecore before, before the Duplass Brothers. Okay, that's but you, what it was. Yeah. So, but but then. Much like Smith would go from Mallrats to Chasing Amy, which was kind of his indie redemption flick. The movie that Linklater makes after this, which neither of us are big fans of, but a lot of people are, and it kind of gets his yeah. comeback is Before Sunrise. Which and is also boring as shit. Yeah, Sorry. Was, <laughs> not, Sorry, I, fans not, of the I've seen trilogy. that twice, and I can't really get into it. It's so boring. Um, and then he'd go on to make a number of other movies. School of Rock is probably his biggest yeah. hit. 
Boyhood was one of the most critically acclaimed, and he's made a number of others since. Um, it was number 131 as far as the box office ranking for the year. Okay. Just above Fatal Instinct, which was the one of those like Sucker Brother parody movies, right behind The Meteor Man. The hell is that? It was a Robert Townsend superhero comedy. Sure. And a uh, ski soap opera e movie called Aspen Extreme. Oh. Which has Fanola Hughes in, in it. So. From General Hospital? <laughs> yes, from General Hospital. It's like these two guys. I, I had to, I was like, what is this movie? I looked it up. It's like two guys are ski instructors, and like she's like the um, the rich wife who's like seducing one of them. It's a total soap opera. It's a type General of Hospital it episode. It is a General Hospital episode. It was yeah, a movie. With skiing. Oh, so, sure. Well, and, nobody, and somebody actually comes back down from the attic. With the skis instead of going up there and disappearing for. Oh somebody. man! Somebody should tell all my children. Yes, this. I know. Uh, wrong soap, but I was, was trying to go for. Them. Well, they were both ABC soap, yeah, so yeah. you 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 tried. Yeah. So the um, so like I said, if you want some if you want some deep dive into the background of the movie and how it was made, etc., go read. All right, all right, all right. Uh, we're going to stick to plot summary. We're just going to have our discussion of the movie. And what we liked about it, what's memorable about it, the different characters and things. We're going to talk about the soundtrack. Because the soundtrack is just as important. I think the soundtrack outsold the movie. Probably. To the point where they made they made, they a, made a, second, like a sequel. Second, yeah, they made a second soundtrack. And uh, and then we have just one other piece of ephemera here. Uh, a book that I found at Borders years ago, and, and, and God for you, it's, it's a uh, Dazed and Confused, based on the film, the screenplay. It's kind of this interesting little artifact that I think we're probably the only two people who who have. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of merch for this movie. Yeah. This is one of the few pieces. All right, so... There isn't a lot of plot. No, but it's a Richard Linklater film. Yeah. It's it's an ensemble film that drifts between characters. Slacker drifts between characters, but it never goes back to the characters. Yeah. This follows characters over the course of the one night. And it's a town in Texas, a last day of school for Robert E. Lee High School. Oh, gross. We're in Rebel Gray. Yeah. In 1976. Uh, we open with a muscle car slowly moving through the parking lot to the sound of sweet emotion. And over the course of the first few minutes, meet several of the rising seniors will be featured throughout the film. Our main protagonist among the seniors is Randall Pink Floyd, played by Jason London. He's the quarterback of the football team, basically means he's like God. It's Texas, yeah. right? Over the course of the movie, his conflicts are basically whether or not he wants to play football in the fall, especially since he's been hanging around that a wrong crowd and his football coach is like, don't think I haven't noticed. Yes. Uh, they're made up of Slater, played by Rory Cochran, who's probably one of the three most iconic characters from the movie, the kind of burnout guy. Pickford, Sasha Andrews, who, one little bit from, all right, all right, all right, he was supposed to have a bigger role in the movie, and he was such an asshole, and his manager was such an asshole, they reduced his role over the course oh, of the film. Oh, wow. So, so he's kind of there, but you notice he kind of has fewer and fewer lines as you get further and further into the movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the Prickford... Prickford line, was accurate. Yeah. <laughs> and, used to, to, and that was like a Prickford. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and I used to think he was so hot. Yeah. And now, I mean, obviously not anymore. Yeah. And uh, he's dating uh, Simone. We'll get to his other friend... We'll get to McConaughey later, and Simone, who's Joey Lauren Adams. Then, so basically, there's this whole thing where he has to sign a pledge to the team to not drink or do drugs or whatever, and he like crumples it up and throws it away, and and all this. And so, as the as the afternoon progresses, we get 
we get to kind of through the the last day of school stuff. And one of the big things is this montage of hazing. And there's hazing traditions for incoming freshmen. The junior high school lets out and the guys are hunting down and busting freshmen. They have paddles Mm -hmm. and they'll, they'll run and go catch them. And this is where we meet our other male protagonist who is Mitch Kramer. Um, who's played by Wiley Wiggins, a freshman who Pink, Pink kind of takes him under his wing throughout the course of the night. But right now he's marked as a dead man because his older sister went up to the guys who's like, take it easy on my little brother. And they're like, yeah, basically that was the exact wrong thing to say. They'll get him after a baseball game. It's a pretty brutal scene yeah. if you think about it. It's set to No More Mr. Nice Guy by Alice Cooper. But not before his friend's mom, Carl, pulls a shotgun on O'Banion, who was played by... Future um, Batman. Yes, actor, yes. Ben Affleck. Of course, another one of our favorite lines, O'Banion just insisted, you know, he was escorting these two people home because... They're ruffians about. Yes, they're ruffians about. O'Banion, by the way, is a fifth-year senior. He had mm-hmm. flunked the comebacks. He's kind of... and Because they say uh, he's only coming back yeah, to... Yeah, I can't believe O'Banion flunked. Yeah. yeah, it was just kind of this thing. and He's kind of this pathetic character, and he gets his later on. In fact, he's gone by the midway point of the movie when... When the junior high kids get his revenge, their revenge on him, they they fake get Carl and then they they pour a can of paint on yes. him and he basically is like everybody laughs at him and he drives off. Uh, the f- girls, this I don't know what's worse, paddling the guys or what they do to the girls. The senior girls um, get a bunch of incoming. It's freshmen. paddling the, the it's physical violence. Like the girls get covered in flowers. Yeah. I know. Uh, is this whole humiliation ritual. Um, they spend the afternoon on the hot asphalt of the high school parking lot. They put pacifiers in their mouths. And there's this whole bit with Darley, who's played by Parker Posey, yelling air raid and having the girls dropped. And it's just like, you're all pathetic. You know, you're, yeah. you little freshman prick teases can't follow instructions. Yeah. Uh, so, and they're, they're covered in all sorts of foodstuffs, ketchup, mustard, and everything. And run through a car wash. Um, it sets up. It also sets up this little side subplot of Tony, who's played by Anthony Rapp, having like this burgeoning romance with uh, this girl named Sabrina. And Tony and his friend Mike, who's played by uh, Adam Goldberg. <laughs> uh, and and Mike, Mike's got one of the best subplots because at one point in this party toward the end of the night, where they're drinking in the woods, he runs into Clint. It's played by Nikki Cat, and and he says something like. Somebody smoking with some reefer and Clint's like, I'm the reefer smoking guy, motherfucker. And the whole night, Mike's running around like, fucking Clint, fucking Christ. <laughs> and yeah. then finally gets into this fight at the end. And Adam Goldberg has this neuroticism about him that. And that's not even his best part when he's in the backseat of the car and he <laughs> says he's, you know, he's like a misanthrope or whatever. And yeah. then. He's like, you know, I know I should be like an ACLU lawyer, but I don't want that. And they're like, well, what do you want to do? I want to dance. <laughs> And that's, like, before he gets in the fight with Clay. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, there's all these little threads we follow through the night. And we keep coming back to them. That what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to go to a party at Pickford's house. Yes. And uh, But Pickford's parents catch him because the beer guy shows up too early. And it's one of the better lines where he's, like, the dad who's dressed in, oh, my God, the polyester and the print shirt. That must have smelled so bad. Oh, God. He's, like, you know, thinking of having a party. He's, like, and, and he says to his wife, start unpacking. We're not going anywhere. And you hear, to, to be fair, Sasha Hendrickson's like, fucker. <laughs> he, he bangs his 
fist on the doorway. So the party gets busted up and basically the entire evening then becomes them cruising around and going to the shooting pool at the Emporium. That's there where we are introduced to our last major supporting and probably the most iconic character in the entire movie, who is Wooderson, who is played by Matthew McConaughey. Now, I think Wooderson's supposed to be like 20 or 21, maybe a little bit older. Yeah. He's, but he's still hanging around with the kids, and there's that, of course, his grossest line, but it is one of yes. them, which is, that's what I love about these high school girls. I get older, they stay the same age. Which, yeah. Grossed up, and, and, well, you know, context yeah. is everything. And, and, you know, I thought that actually, there are a number of things, and I know we'll probably get into this, in yeah. the movie that I thought were very reminiscent of the time, not only the 70s, but of the 90s, mm-hmm. like in terms of, like, assumptions about what's an appropriate age to date someone or what's appropriate behavior. And so I think the most unrealistic thing in this movie is that the parents stayed home when the beer guy showed up, because if it really had been the seventies, the parents, parents probably would have been like, what the hell ever? Like they're going to have a, I mean, unless they didn't want their house to get screwed up, but like to me, and I know it was meant to move the plot forward, but you know, like they, I mean the most unrealistic thing, parents of that time, Probably just being like you're gonna get you're gonna give up your getaway with yeah. your wife, so your son can't yeah. have a party. Probably would not have given a shit. But there there is this sort of look of the guy's face, like he's been trying to like I finally got you. Yeah. Because you know at one point they're all smoking pot. Yeah, and they have to room open and they the window. They, they have open to do the when they spray the lights all open the window. So like I I think you're right, but there's also the side of it. It's like I've been trying to get this kid for a while, and he finally yeah. gets it because his father has this shit eating grin on his face when he says it. It's yeah, like, true. Yeah. Um. So basically, they move the party to the moon tower, which is like this tower with a light on it that shines over the city, drinking in the woods, and uh, that's where the fight between Mike and Clint happens. Before this, though, there's there's a great sequence where. Uh, Mitch gets into the car with like Pickford, Slater, Wooderson, I think Pink, and they go around like throwing trash cans at mailboxes. And <laughs> Mitch throws a bowling ball through the back of the car, you know, and, and just this whole thing. But it, and that's at one point where like Don, who's one of the other characters, pretends to steal beer and then he runs out and they get accosted by this guy with a gun and he's just. You know, tampered with mailboxes. This is a, a felony, felony offense. offense. Yeah. And um, and then there's like, you know, Mitch successfully buying a six pack in that sort of like, I'm working for the city pretending yeah. to be 18. Of course, the woman in front of him was pregnant, smoking a cigarette and buying booze. And the pastor says, Be sure to eat a green thing, thing yeah, every day. Yeah. yeah. Just yes. like little, little things like that is what makes this movie. Which I quote also all the time. Yes. I need to eat a green yeah. thing. And, and Mitch's thing, he successfully buys the beer and then it impresses this girl named Julie, who's like a rising sophomore and they end up hooking up at the end. Wooderson hits on uh, Cynthia, who's the third in that car with Mike and Tony. And she's played by Marissa. Rubisi? Yeah. Marissa. Rubisi. Yeah. Married uh, to Beck. Uh, there's more random stuff in the moon tower. People getting like over the course of the night, people get progressively intoxicated. Mila Jovovich, who is on the poster because mainly because people knew her from like modeling and stuff. Yeah. She has like literally no lines. I don't think. She's like one or two lines and she sings some song. Oh, that's right. Watch them fly. fly. That's right. That's right. But the best part about that is that like, that's where Slater is hearing the song and he's like, you know, his eyes and he just goes into this house. The song's about aliens. Yeah. you know, George Washington was a cult, and it's all money too. You know, money too. Yeah. And it's like Martha Washington had a big 
bowls sitting she's a hip hip, hip lady, lady. yeah 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 mitch basically has the night of his life it ends with him and julie on a blanket at sunrise making out to the sound of a summer breeze by sills and crofts and then he comes home and his mother's like this is your one get out of jail free card. You're never coming in at six o'clock in the morning again or whatever. I always laugh though. Cause that actress's delivery when she's like Mitchell, I mean, <laughs> she sounds like she's half in the bag. Like he woke her up from like whatever weekend bender she was on. I was like, Oh my God, it is was, Mitch's mom drunk? It was the 70s. I mean, probably. I mean, she's probably like halfway in like her downer she had to yeah. take. I don't know. Pink's is a little more complicated. Um, he kind of hooks up with Mitch's sister. But it's like they kiss a little bit and he starts to make a movie and she's just like, no. And I, I never got what was going on there. She's like, don't you have a girlfriend? And he's like, oh, yeah. And then, yeah, because he was he had a girlfriend yeah. and then she didn't want to be like somebody's side yeah. piece. Good for her. Mm-hmm. And so she was probably like, well, we're not, yeah. you're not getting anything until you give up the other chick. Yeah. And then he has a really, he has this talk with this, his friend Benny, who's played by Cole Hauser, about like, you know, Benny's all pissed off that he doesn't want to play football. He's like, we were going to be. I totally forgot you about and me, Benny. We're going to be champions and all that. Um, but the other one, the basically the fight, the, the fight between Mike and Clint basically ends the party. Yeah. But not before Darla spots Sabrina and is like she's completely trash and tells her to aerate. She's like, no. She's like, I'm gonna make your life a living yeah, hell. She's and like, she, aerate or it's your ass. Yeah, and then she just yells, Lick me, all, all of you. you, and I think falls over or whatever, because <laughs> she's just that. This is one of two iconic roles of Parker Posey in the 90s. I say Party Girl is probably yes. the other one. And House of Yes, I think is the it was a third. So the party breaks up and Wooderson, Pink, Dawson, a bunch of them, Slater, go and their girlfriends go to the football field yes. to smoke. And uh, the cops are called. And so is the football coach. And the football coach gives them this whole, you know, yeah, reads, reads them for filth and everything and tells them to get his priorities straight. And Pink responds by crumping up the sober pledge, throwing it at him, saying his priority for the summer. He's like, I may play football, but I'm never signing this. And he's, I'm, I'm going off to Houston to get some Aerosmith tickets. It's the top priority of the summer. And the, the, the film ends with two things. One, it's Mitch having come home completely just, you know, you know, blissed out and, and still intoxicated, putting on his headphones and starting up Slow Ride by Foghat, and it cuts to them in the car driving off. And then Slow Ride plays over the, the credits and stuff. So that's the, and I probably left a few things out. I mean, again, it's it's one of those movies that you watch the first time, you're like, it's really good. And you keep watching it and you, you start to see more yeah. and more things. One of the other things is that, like, you know, we talked about how quotable it is. Our generation came to love it because the, pot culture was a big part of our generation in the 90s. Especially those of us who were in college. Yeah. Even in my college, which is just Catholic college up in Baltimore, there was a... Look at everybody. Every pothead's favorite band was fucking Grateful Dead or Fish. And when the Grateful Dead was really big in the 70s. Like, I think you mentioned the other day where you were like, I think the reason why Gen Z, and I'm painting with a broad brush here, so everybody calm down. But like, you know, they kind of don't know their pop culture history is because like when we were their age... VH1 was running those, I love the 70s, I love yeah. the 80s, I love... So we learned... And also, there was the the revival of Woodstock. We're going to ignore the 99 one, because that was yeah, literally a dumpster fire. But 94 was, but 94, was like, pretty it was big like, Yeah, us. like, it was like a big resurgence. And you still had, like, the, the Eagles reunited. Yeah. Um, 
you had, uh, you know, um, Fleetwood Mac got back together yeah. for a little bit. Like, a lot of the big stuff in the 70s was still, like, when it re... It either had a resurgence in the 90s or they were, like, it was still a thing. Yeah. Even though Jerry Garcia had been dead for a while or whatever, so... Yeah, he died in, like, 95. Yeah, yeah, like, so, you know, I think... I think because... And also, we grew up with boomer parents mm-hmm. and, you know, they're constantly up their own ass. So they were very, you know... Yeah. Still push, still driving a lot of the culture. Yeah. Until, of course, we had, like, you know, the advent of grunge and stuff. And I think now... With like Gen Z and stuff, like you're, you're probably being raised by either elder millennials, yeah, in between or Gen Xers like us, and so like we push our culture a little bit, but it, we're not big enough for it to still be. I mean, I think maybe the only culture we still push as a generation is hip hop, rap, mm-hmm. because that's when rap became the most popular music, yeah, in in the country. So. Anyway, sorry, that's like no. a long way of saying like I think there was just so we were already primed to like embrace that stuff well you're right i mean if you think of other aspects of the 70s like punk punk the, the ramones were still around and, yeah and, and then you, everything kind of circled Aerosmith back there. Was still, yeah, I aerosmith mean, like, made a huge comeback in the 80s into the early 90s so yeah. when when this comes out um sweet emotion had actually had a music video because i think they used it for whatever their box set was mm-hmm. and uh and i think this came out right around the time get a grip hit mm-hmm. and with Liv Tyler yeah. and Alicia I'm shocked actually Liv Tyler wasn't in this yeah. movie. Cause... So, yeah. And, um, you know, so our generation, like, really latched on. Because you're right. It is so much a 90s movie as much as it is a 70 nostalgia's piece. And um, it would kind of sort of inspire, like, that 70s show later on. In the yeah. Decade, which we watched for several years and had some really good stuff in it. And then just had, just after a while, was just... I think it's like any, any show. sitcom that you know, lasted too long. but yeah. And I know that some of the, the kids I've taught, at least in the past, had watched a lot of reruns of that 70s show because it was something, much like a lot of 70s TV was rerun when we were mm-hmm. younger. So we saw a lot of Charlie's Angels or Three's Company or all of it. Like Wonder and, Woman. And Wonder Woman and, and all the Hulk. Hulk and, and uh, Six the Million American. Men. Well, the Greatest American Hero was the 80s. 80s, yeah. But I mean, like we saw a lot of those shows because they were just perpetually yeah. reruns and a lot of the 90s stuff was perpetually reruns um, like then. But the other thing about that everybody points out about this movie is that there's not a single person in this film who at the time you could recognize maybe Joey Lord Adams because she bit, she popped up on a few well, sitcoms. Well, and Mila Jovovich because yeah, Mila Jovovich, she if, was yeah, if you recognize like a well-known her. model. And I remember Joey Lord Adams, Lord Adams, I think it had been on an episode or two of like Married with Children. Well, and her voice is really distinct. So and like, Jason London because the London brothers mm-hmm, were yeah. kind of like 17, like the cover 17 magazine yeah. and YM Heart Throbs because yeah. of that Reese Witherspoon movie. Uh, Man in the Moon? Man in the Moon? Half Moon? Yeah, Man something like, yeah. yeah. So, because I don't, it, that might have been Jeremy instead of Jason, but um, every girl worth her salt it, who was hetero in the 90s teenager knew who the London brothers yeah. were. So, but it, but it's like, um, it's kind of like when I talked to America, America Graffiti, we mentioned how that cast was completely unknown, and the only person you may have recognized if you had been watching TV long enough would have been Ron Howard. Cause he played yeah, Ron well, yeah. But even then, it's like, the Andy Griffith show had gone off like yeah, but he was in Happy Days. But Happy Days came after. After American Graffiti. Yeah, ha- okay. Happy Days is kind of like I've never seen it. Yeah, Happy Days is kind of uh, like, American Graffiti. Yeah. I've seen Happy, Happy Days. Happy Days is kind of like started about a year or so later. 
I think want to say partially because they were like, oh, this movie was really successful. Let's. So it basically, I mean, that's the thing. Like, none of this stuff is really new. Yeah. You know, like in the seventies, there was nostalgia for the fifties. In the nineties, there was nostalgia for the seventies. A couple years ago, I will never forget how what a gut punch it was to walk into Target to the back to school display for clothes, and the mannequins are literally dressed up like Cher in Clueless with her plaid skirt and her knee socks. And I was like, I am not ready for this. Yeah. Well, and the fact that like you know. The cool kids are walking around wearing Nirvana t-shirts that they bought at Target for 12 bucks and stuff like that. You know, um, you may have, like, I don't remember Ben Affleck being in School Ties. I know he was in it, but School Ties came out in 92. That was Brendan Fraser's That was Brendan Fraser, and Matt Damon's in that. I distinctly remember Matt Damon in that movie because he played an asshole. But but yeah, it was Brendan Fraser was saying. Cole Hauser actually is also in the movie, but again, like... These are things like you'd have to be watching, like you'd have to have been following all of these people enough. Yeah. In, but um, but kind of a layman would have never. And but no, you're not going to know Ben and Matt until like first year of college. Yeah. When they win the Oscar for Good Will yeah, Hunting. Yeah. Maybe and maybe like Affleck would have been one of those people. He he would have been a um hey it's that he was a hey it's that guy. Yeah. Before Good Will Hunting, like he kept showing up in things. Yeah. You know because he plays the fashionable male and you know yeah. all that. But yeah, you've got, and then McC- this like the, this didn't put McConaughey on the map. It no. was probably a time, time to, to kill. kill. Yeah. But you go back, and you're like, oh crap, that's Matthew McConaughey, and oh crap, that's Ben Affleck, and you realize that this was a launching pad for, you know, like I said, Renee Zellweger is in the movie for like a like I think she's in literally like two shots of the movie. Well, and her and Matthew both are Texan. Yeah. So yeah. And then I she, could see them just kind of getting scouted. Yeah, she has a similar thing in Reality Bites where she's in one second of the movie because she's uh, one of Ethan Hawke's hookups. Oh. He's, he, it's, it's toward the beginning of the movie in a montage. He walks out of her apartment, she kisses him goodbye, gives her his her phone, him her phone number, and he throws it away. And, like, you see enough of her to realize that that's her. But anyway. So, like, the two main characters are... I find I always find Mitch and Pink both likable, um, with the exception of that stupid thing that Wiley Wiggins does with, with, his, nose with the bridge of his nose, pinches the bridge of his nose. It, I, I like that he is this character who's kind of this innocent kid that you can see becoming really popular at some point, and like, but also he, he is he's almost he is every movie like this has like an us character, and I think he's in some way he's one of the us characters where. He's sort of an outsider, and he's giving us that view of, like, because we're not in with this crowd, and he's not either, but he's slowly getting to know them. And, um, you know, he took his licks, and even Pink is like, nah, no, I hung out with these guys. I hung out with the guys who got me, and it was, like, really cool. And and that's his way in. Like, you know, it was like an initiation. He's almost like a made man at that point. And I thought Pink... The cool thing was always about Pink was he's he's the football god, but he does not seem to belong to a jock clique. He's kind of friends with everybody. Yeah, yeah. Were there, are there any like any other characters you think about and you're like they're like really likable or hateable or is there something in the movie? Yeah, in the movie, like you know the, these these different people that we're like we're seeing over the course of the film um, are any of them completely unnecessary? Like, why is this guy in the movie or something? Um, I, no, I mean, I don't know if anybody's unnecessary. I think, you know, there are a lot of them are playing archetypes, mm-hmm. you know, like obviously Darla's like, you know, the head bitch in charge. I did like the, one of the things that 
and not that it necessarily needs to be in the plot summary, but I did like the part where I think they were going to the Emporium to play pool, and Siobhan, who's the blonde girl, she's kind of, like, friends with the two groups of girls, and she keeps getting in and out of the different... Or yes. she gets in one car with, uh, like... What is Mitch's sister's name? Uh, Jody. Jody. Gets in the car with Jody and, like, another friend, and then... You know, they're talking, and then she gets in Darla's car, and yeah. they're like, what did Jody have oh, to yeah. say about it? You know, or whatever. She's like, she called you a bitch and you a slut. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, it's, um, I thought that dynamic was, was kind of funny among the girls. Because that does happen. Because there is yeah. always that in-between friend who's friends with, like, multiple, so mm-hmm. she's kind of, I mean, I don't think she's necessarily, like, bold as pink is, but, like, there's always going to be those people who do flip between groups and the groups are like, what did so-and-so say about us? And you kind of yeah. have to be like Switzerland and just, <laughs> or you break and you say, she called you a slut and you a bitch. But I mean, yeah, I don't know if any, you know, what's interesting though, it's like, there is that moment when you're a little conflicted because what's the little shit's name? The guy who, the, the guy that, the kid, the oh, blonde kid. Oh, uh, Carl. Carl. Yeah, there's, Mitch, Carl, and then Hirschfelder is yes. the, uh, the slightly uh, larger kid. Yeah, yeah. So Carl, it's... Uh, which makes I me was laugh. getting there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> See, he was getting there. He's just such a little shit. And so you're kind of like, I don't like O'Banion because he's a big shit, but I also can't stand yeah. this little fucker. So you, you kind of root against him, even though you're rooting for him to get... Ben Affleck's character because he's a bigger asshole and he should know better. And this kid's like an eighth grader, basically. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, not that he's not necessary. It's just I you want to root for the kids Mm -hmm. who are kind of like trying to like get one over on the bully. And I wasn't really rooting for him. I was like, I kind of wouldn't mind watching your ass get smacked around. But um, but anyway, I think that that whole sequence works. And I will tell I will say the character. Carl's one of the best line recitals in that movie is where she pulls the shotgun out of bed and he's like, Mom! <laughs> yeah. But I think the revenge thing works is because you never see them set it up. So it's not like some sort of like caper, caper yeah. or anything. They tell, uh, they're like, I think it's like Mitch or somebody says, Hey, you want to get him? And they go off and scheme and then they come back and, and, uh, I think like Mitch mentions to Julie that they're busting Carl so that O'Banion hears it. And so this is never like schemed out. It just plays out. And then you're like, okay, like, so you don't know what they're going to do. And the paint starts to fall on him and he gets him. And I think that's what makes it funny because we have no idea what's going to happen either. So we're now in with the crowd that's laughing at O'Banion. So it kind of gives us, gives us that in with them. And even Wooderson, who is by all means just like a skis of a character is still weirdly likable. Oh, yeah. And and I think that's what he, he, he you know... Um, He's I, your he older friend who buys you beer and yeah. cigarettes. I mean, like... And you, you... I think the reason why he's... One of the reasons he's written to be so likable is because, again, if you're looking at it from the lens of these kids in this time, yeah. that guy would have been cool. Yeah. Like, Marissa Rabisi, Cynthia would have been flattered because in the 70s, yeah. that was hot. In the 70s, it was yeah. no big deal for like a 20 some year old dude to be looking at a 17 year old girl. Like it was just, you know, like none of that was creepy. That like, didn't start to then. become really creepy until into the 90s and the 20s. I mean, and 2000s. bitch, like, I mean, it's that, some people still don't it's think it's still creepy. People, yeah. But I mean, I mean there, there, it, it shows up less and less in movies these days where you have that. I mean, you still yeah. see, oh, I, you still see it. Like the age difference. Yeah. But yeah. Like that, um, 
Anyway, but yeah, yeah like I think the, the reason why he is likable is because yeah. if you were that age back then, yeah. you would think he was cool. Um, I also thought it was interesting too, the whole like little schematics thing against O'Banion is that like here's Mitch kind of like doing like a cool grown up thing with the older kids, yeah. but he's still helping his like immature yeah. fucking eighth grader, rising ninth grader pals like pull this prank. And so kind of, yeah. li again, living in that world between like my friends who are probably still pretty immature and yeah. kind of still like kids versus me hanging out with these yeah. like and, cool older yeah. kids. And, and he... And he shows off a little bit for his friends because they see him outside of the like yeah. the emporium. They're like, "You go to the emporium." He's like, "What? Are you? Oh, I got a six or you know." So he's yeah. acting cool in front of them and stuff. Um, but yeah, they're but you're right. And um, and like and uh, and then and I and I love the fact that they have the Mike and Tony subplot. Yeah. Um, because it doesn't need to be in the movie. Right. If, if, if your big characters are Mitch and Pink, you can kind of excise that plot, and it really has no bearing on the film. Um, but, like, the whole thing with Tony at the beginning of the, of the film is that, like, he has, like, some... Was it, he has a dream about a woman with a perfect body but the head of Abraham Lincoln, and, like, Mike's, like, basically, like, we gotta get you laid. Which, behind the scenes, knowing that Anthony Rapp is, like, one of the more iconic gay actors of our generation is... There's yeah. kind of a fun irony to it because he was one. I think was one of the original cast members of Rent. Rent. Yeah, yeah, and he and he and Wilson Cruz were, I think, the first or one of the most first prominent um, gay couples on a Star Trek show because they were on. Okay. They were on Discovery, uh, okay. Star Trek Discovery, and they were they were a couple on that show. Um, Wilson Cruz being another yes. of the most iconic gay actors of our of our generation. Yeah. So, but but that plot line is so much fun to follow because as much as Mitch's are kind of window, they're doing the sort of meta commentary. They're the two. They're Stadler and Waldorf. Waldorf. Yeah, they're they're giving That's, they're, they're yeah. giving commentary because at one point they're watching the hazing. Yeah, and he's like, they condone this. He's like, well, they're selling concessions, and there's all these like lines and stuff. And then Marisa Ribisi has that line that pops in the trailer about how like the '50s were boring, the '60s were were awesome, the '70s they obviously suck. Maybe the '80s will be. Radical, yeah. you know, and so there's that. And the, the only other kind of meta pop cultural moment that comes in is very, very 90s, and I don't want to say all at all 70s, is I don't remember the character's name. She's the short haired girl, and they're in the bathroom, and she's going on and on about how Gilligan's Island is the perfect male fantasy because you have the yeah. hot redhead and this girl next door with the nice butt, and you were all play. So it's this sort of great feminist bit, but I don't know if you would have seen that in 70s films it's very much like something you would have seen in the 90s i could have seen a character like winona Ryder, jimmy graf garofalo doing that in like a reality bites that sort of well, pop culture commentary i mean the which is a great one by the way well in the 70s were a, yeah. a big time for the feminist movement but i could also yeah. see like it is a 90s thing in that i think Maybe in small, I mean, again, yeah. maybe in small town Texas where football is king and all this other stuff is acceptable, I could see it yeah. maybe being not that common. Yeah, well, much like graffiti, I can't see something to cut out of this movie. Like, there's nothing in this movie where I'm like, I don't care about this, this is unnecessary, it's... The movie is a pretty, it's only about 90 minutes, I think, it's a pretty tight movie. Yeah. And everything in it just works well it, it doesn't dwell too long on one thing yeah i think the fact that it 
kind of moves around yeah. is helpful. Yeah. I guess one question, kind of broader cultural stuff. Did this change your impression of the 70s at all? Because my impression of the 70s going into this was really centered around like Saturday Night Fever and disco. Hmm. Like Travolta in the white suit and like the cheesy crap, bad style jokes that comedians were making about the 70s, like Dennis Leary's jokes about James Taylor and, and, you know, kind of that sort of thing. So I knew 70s rock existed because I listened to plenty of classic rock radio. But when I first heard the soundtrack, it was like it, it started to dawn on me that there was this whole other side to the 70s that I had not really explored because my side of the 70s, if it wasn't disco, it was uh, like Bowie or Queen. I was, I don't think it was into punk yet, but like, you know, there was that. So this was, this actually kind of put a lens on something that I was just not, um, you know, maybe had seen in old family photos of, of relatives and things like that, but it was not something of, that was not my impression of the seventies going in. That's the thing about the family photos is actually what I was just thinking. So for me, I think one thing I appreciate about the film is everybody looks ordinary like they're wearing like clothes probably re- i mean of course there's a costume element to some yeah, of it, yeah, but yeah. like they're wearing clothes that you would probably wear to school yeah. on the last day or clothes you like when the, the i think it's the one scene where the girls are trying to zip their jeans with the pliers yes because they're so tight or whatever yeah. to pull up the zipper like that's a real thing i mean like my aunt my aunts used to like mm. i mean that happened in the 80s too with your jordash you know or yeah, your the, gloria vanderbilt yeah. and so like i did appreciate that like People looked normal. Like, they weren't... Nobody had, like, a Farrah Fawcett haircut. Not really. Maybe the teacher did. Yeah. Um, the blonde chick who... No, she was a total hippie. Was she, well, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember exactly. But, but no, like, no, the, fa- the Farrah haircut, you're right. That, I think that comes a little later, but yeah, it was... Point being, yeah. like, it was... People... It, it was a movie based in a small town. Yeah. People were regular people. They had normal clothes on. Now, some had very, like typical 70s like I think yeah. like Mila Jovovich did very much look like she was trying to be at Woodstock when she was singing her song yeah. but I think that was part of the joke yeah but it did like it looked a lot I mean I don't know if I had like any real standing idea of the 70s except like because again it was part of like our class mm-hmm. in high school we had like spirit days and stuff where you'd either be like a hippie or you'd be yeah, a disco yeah. diva or whatever but like it Looking, if you look at the costumes, or like if you look at the people in the movie, th- it does look. It, it looks like when I used to look at family photo albums of like my mom. Now my mom is like she had me when she was twenty. Yeah. So obviously, like pregnant, it was she was pregnant in seventy six. Had me in seventy seven. Like pictures of her baby shower. Mm-hmm. It looked like you know people in just regular yeah. clothes, whatever. So it did yeah. look a lot. I. It's kind of like when, you know, um, movies from like present day that are about the eighties, like you're either going to have like kind of like almost put parody where like the wedding singer, the wedding singer or like, yeah. Or, or people who can't seem to get the fashion of the eighties and the nineties. Right. Like they're, they're saying it, like they're talking about fresh Prince of Bel-Air and I'm like, that was the nineties. That wasn't like Mm -hmm. anyway. Um, but you look at, but you look at a TV show like the Americans where that takes place in the eighties and they are wearing eighties clothes. Like, they look like normal people in the 80s yeah. versus The Wedding Singer. Yeah. So. Yeah. It looks like, and Days and Confused looks like it was, 
looks like, like I bring up The Last of Us, something I said about American Graffiti, it's, it looks like 1962, at least from my impression, because my parents were that age in that movie, because my parents were born in the 40s, and by the time that movie takes place in 1962, my dad's... 20-something. Um, uh, no, he's, or 18? he's 18, 17, 18, and my mom is 15. So they're like, that's them. And from what I've seen of them at that year, it's very, I think it doesn't look like it was shot in 1973. Right. This does not, for the most part, does not look like it was shot in the early nineties. I mean, maybe the lighting and everything, if you want to really be real film geek about it, but it feels like, okay, yeah, this does, as opposed to say the wedding singer, which feels like a movie from the late nineties, making fun of the eighties. Well, but that's the whole point a, of it. It's a comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a comedy. And Although Days and Confused is a comedy too. Yeah, but so. like, or, or like, it doesn't like you said. Some of the film, some of the costumes are costumey. Yeah. But it doesn't feel. It doesn't feel like anybody's wearing a Spirit Day costume. Right. You know. Well, but also it, in the wedding singer's defense, like Julia Drew Barrymore's character doesn't dress like a caricature. No. And Adam Sandler doesn't really either, except when he's wearing his wedding singer clothes. Mm -hmm. Like, his regular clothes are just regular. Yeah, just over the haircut. But. Yeah. And so the book here is interesting. It's, it's kind of this weird scrapbook slash yearbook thing, which has profiles of all the characters. has an introduction by uh, Linklater. And I like the fake ads. Yeah, the fake ads for the Bicentennial Bamboo Bong. Yes. Um, a marijuana rolling tray, a Quaalude paperweight. And then there's all these little articles about, like, different aspects of it and some of it like is laid out to look like a student handbook or student newspaper or yearbook and there are literal yearbook pictures yeah. of all the characters and their uh and They're, their names even some of the people who were um like background yeah people and it you know and it's one of those things where um coach conrad who's the Again, with the the madras uh, plaid. Uh, yes, and, and the super Stroud. short shorts. Yeah, Miss Stroud, who's the hippie. She's the hippie teacher who Dawson hits on, and he's like, let's go somewhere. And she goes, yeah. pats him on the head. And she also has that line, um, when you're all about the bicentennial brouhaha, a bunch of slave-owning white men. They who, didn't who want to pay, pay their, their taxes. taxes. So in case you've heard somebody on social media say that and don't realize where that comes from, it's this movie. Yeah. Because I don't think people who parrot that now understand the reference. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not this, shocking. Yeah. So, you know, the, a lot of these are like publicity shots and things like that. It is funny, too, because if you've ever looked at old 70s and especially 70s and 80s yearbooks, it's that whole phenomenon of everybody there looks like they're pushing 30 even though there were 17, like, why do people, well, like, why do high school students yeah. in the past look so much older than we did when we were 17? Yeah. I, well, I don't know. I mean, it is interesting. Like, I wonder if it, I don't know, maybe because at that point they were treated older. You know, yeah. like, you had people getting married and, like, right at, yeah. my mother right out of high school or, yeah. like, working or having kids or whatever. There is a sort of weird, I mean, we, we could do, a, you could do a whole deep dive fashion episode about like when it flipped that teenagers were trying to dress older and now like it's everybody trying to dress younger and, and because there were like you see old shots from the 80s and it's like young 17 year old girls showing up in like blazers with shoulder pads you so, know like like they're like they're in the set of working girl or something exactly and, well and I remember I feel like it tipped halfway through or maybe toward the end of college for us because you know, 
when I went to college, first year, we were all wearing, like, our tapered leg high-waisted jeans, which, yeah. I don't know about the tapered leg piece, but the high-waisted jeans are, they came back, and that was great. Um, but, like, you know, we'd be wearing, like, a turtleneck under a sweatshirt. I mean, we yes. literally looked like we were really walked off a set of, like, 30-something or some shit. Like, mm-hmm. we were dressed like, we literally were dressed like moms. Maybe we'd be kind of cute in, like, a skirt or something yeah. like that. But for the most part, like, we did not look young. And then I remember, like, my se- my fourth year, um, all the first years came rolling in in there. And we called them, like, their black sorority sex pants. Yes. And they were all the black, like, flared, like, pants from, like, Bebe or whatever. Um, and I remember being, and, like, where they're wearing, like, in, you know, crop tops and tank yeah, tops yeah. to the fraternities. And I was like, what are you doing? And it's just, like, I don't know. I was dressed like a mom yeah. about to go pick her kids up from school. And this, like, group of girls came in and, like, yeah. which was in 90, 98, fall of 98. Yeah, 98, spring 99. Yeah, and it's just, like, wow. And then, like, everything just got, although a lot of millennials, the, the joke now is, like, why were we wearing business casual in the club? in the early aughts, like, why did we, like, for some, it's just... But the late 90s is the rise, and again, we're off next tangent, we'll come back, is the rise of the purchasing power of the millennial child. Well, and the... And that whole... Well, and the rise of, you know, uh, teen pop stars again. Yeah. Also, the rise of the internet and having an internet presence, like, you have the rise of Paris Hilton in the early aughts. I mean, like, a lot of it, I mean, a lot of it just, you know, anyway, but, like, yeah, we're on a tangent. You should just cut yeah. all this out. But no, it no, is but an it's, interesting it's, thing, like it, how everybody looks older, yeah, and then suddenly they didn't. It's like a, it's like a, a it's a good. Um, put a pin in it. Maybe we'll ever come back to it. Could do some work. But this book is interesting because it also has like clipped out things from like old Mad magazines from the seventies, like fake, uh, you know, a whole thing about Kiss. And stuff, uh, and a TV guide thing, and so um, one of my favorite bits is that here's a here's Kohlhauser's Benny, and they have a marked up paper from Miss Stroud of his thing where he's writing about why art appreciation is important to good citizenship, entitled "I Want to Rock and Roll All Night and Party Every Day," and he has the line, "I pull a quick one eighty and slide out the GT." Oh, jumps the curb and plows down at 30 feet of somebody else's night's suburban fence. I guess the rednecks figure we were in enough shit and took off. <laughs> D minus, please have your parents sign and return this essay. And are you trying to stay back a year? <laughs> so there, there's some funny stuff here, like the exorcist barf bag with Alfred E. Newman yes. dr- dressed as the devil. If the devil makes you do it. There's another hot take of mine. I think The Exorcist is so boring. I've only seen The Exorcist. I fell asleep watching that too, and I swear to God, yeah. I'm not narcoleptic. It just was yeah. very, for everybody being like, oh my God, it was so scary. Yeah. It, it's not, and I yeah. don't even like horror films. Yeah. This is oh. the water. This water is interesting too, just kind of getting into the history of, of the 70s. So 76 is, uh, we pull out of Vietnam in 73. Nixon resigns in 74. The fall is like on 75. Carter, this is the one conversation about, do you think, like, uh, how, were you the one with the theory how President's Ford old, old football injuries are affecting the economy? And and Mike's like, yeah, whatever, he's out of the here this fall. And because Carter, Carter gets elected. And the 76, I think, if I'm remembering my kind of cultural history, like, right, is right before American culture kind of tips into what you would call the Carter era malaise. 
Mm. Um, which 70, 79 is like the high point of that. Cause that's the, it's one of the, yet another oil embargo is kind of taking place there. And then there's the Iran, uh, the Iran hostage crisis, the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. And like, you know, you have this through the very, very late part of the decade, this really just kind of low, low feeling. Um, but so it's interesting to see with, with the bicentennial, because the bicentennial is just in the background of the entire thing. And from what I'm talking to people who were alive, because neither of us were, um, <laughs> and who remember the bicentennial, it was like, inescapable yeah in 1976 it was like the biggest thing ever and the fireworks on the fourth of july were insane and it was just you could not escape it so there was sort of a of a, of a good feeling especially in a place like texas right so it's just i find i don't find this interesting is this is almost like a like an artifact yeah of of the 70s and stuff so um and i think Link later had a had a hand in um had a hand in putting this together, so it was just uh, really fun to look at. But then we have the soundtrack. Yes. Yeah, we can get to the soundtrack, because I think we covered a lot of the movie, what we like about the movie, and what's fun about it and stuff, and we talked about the book. Um, every once in a while, I had a, I had a poster at one point, I think it might have been my dorm room or apartment at some point, I got rid of that years ago. Uh, I think you can buy like a Days and Confused shirt at Universal, Oh, okay. I think I saw when we were at Universal. It was just kind of a purple shirt with the with the, uh, smiley, face. the smiley face on it and stuff. But there wasn't a lot of merchandise. But the two soundtracks did huge, huge numbers. I'm not going to go through every single track on both discs. So there was Dazed and Confused, and then that hit so well that they did even more Dazed and Confused. And Dazed and Confused's cover is the blue background with the clouds and the smiley face. And the even more is a pink background with the clouds and the smiley face. And we had, we have both. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if I'm looking at anything that I would have recognized right away, um, having very little experience with 70s rock in that way, I probably would have recognized Alice Cooper. Yeah. I knew the song Rock and Roll All Night. Yeah. And uh, maybe Low Rider. I probably would have hear, heard Low Rider, but you have. Um, now, there are two songs that are prominently in the movie, but not on the soundtrack. Sweet Emotion opens the movie. And the scene where Pink, Wooderson, and I think Mitch are walking through the Emporium, they are playing Hurricane yes. by Bob Dylan. More than likely, they could get the rights to use it in the movie, but it would have cost them right. an enormous amount of money to put it on the soundtrack and they decided not to do that. You have, of course, Slow Ride by mm-hmm. Foghat. Uh, Free Ride by the Edgar Wood Group is another one that I think is prominent in there. I had heard of Paranoid by Black Sabbath. I will say that's another one because my friends were into metal. Yeah, I probably hadn't heard of that one, but I've heard everything else so far. Yeah. Um, I knew of Leonard Skinner. I don't think I had heard Tuesday's Gone at this point. I was probably just familiar with Sweet Home Alabama. You did not grow up in the South. I did not grow up in the South. (laughs) Maybe Freebird. There are two songs by, to quote John Cusack in High Fidelity, Peter Peter fucking Frampton. Uh, show me the way and do you feel like we do? And the only Peter Frampton song I was familiar with at that point would have been Baby, Baby I Love, I love Your Way. way. Yeah. Even though I don't think I'd ever really heard the original so much as the covers. Yeah. There are two ZZ Top songs on here. Balinese, which... Yeah, I didn't I know. T- uh, Tush. I don't either. Yeah, no. again, ZZ Top for us is like Legs. legs uh, Sharp-Dressed Man. Sharp-Dressed Man, that's the other one I'm thinking of. Uh, let's see. Deep Purple has a song, although we're both, it's called Highway Star. We're both familiar with 
smoke in the water. The Runaways, Joan Jett, yes. leading forward, uh, Cherry Bomb yes, is in this. Yes, we know that one. That one. Uh, two songs by Alice Cooper, School's Out, of course, and uh, No More Mr. Nice Guy. There's a Steve Miller Band song called Living in the USA. It's funny, because some of these groups, I'm like, oh, I know this group. But he's using a song that, yeah, a, either I don't know if it's like an a album B-side or a B-side, or if it's just another song that charted. But it's not, it's not the Joker. It's not "Take the Money and Run" or "Fly Like an Eagle" yeah. or any it's not of those. Be as expensive. Yeah. <laughs> wars, wars. Why can't we be friends? Is the other lowrider? Yeah. Why can't we be friends here? Those are two great, great songs. I mentioned "Summer Breeze," "Doctor John's Right Place," yeah. "Long Time," "Black Oak, Arkansas," a band I'd never heard of has two songs, Jim Dandy and Lord Have Mercy on My Soul. Okay. Yeah. Another Foghat song. Um, Head East singing Never Been Any Reason, which on the soundtrack, I was like, this is a really good song. I don't remember where it is in the movie. It's probably on a radio in the background. Oh, maybe. Sweet has a song called Fox on the Run, which when you hear it, you're like, oh, I know the song. Sweet's biggest hit or most well-known song is the song Ballroom Blitz. Oh, okay. That they play at the end of Wayne's World. Um, and then there is a, I fucking hate Ted Nugent, but his yeah. song Stranglehold is on there. And then there's uh, Rick Derringer's Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo, mm-hmm. which, yeah. So it's a, it is a clear, like, Southern rock in, in many ways type of thing. And and they make the point uh, when he's, they're interviewing Luke later in that book, that this is one of the last times as you get into the 80s and you get into the 90s, um, especially when MTV comes along and people, and that becomes more and more mainstream and FM radio becomes bigger and bigger through the 80s. Because I think AM radio was still the big thing in the 70s. Yeah. Um, and, and so there's a whole flip and, and it's like, it's not homogenizing the, the, the music that everybody's listening to, but that sort of regional music like this they said, kind of starts to fade away. Except on college radio. Except on college radio, you're right. But it's not going to be rock like this. No, it's, it's like... It's going to be like R.E.M. R.E.M. And, and the B-52s. Which, which become... And, and college Dave radio... Matthews. Yeah, and college radio becomes this launching pad for people who maybe five, six years later will actually chart. Because yeah. R.E.M. was like indie darlings for forever and then... But it's very yeah. regional. I mean, it, like, yeah, it, the, yeah. the B-52s and R.E.M. are very... Uh, from, yeah. of their place. Yeah. And I think what the, I think the point they were making too, and I can totally see this is that like, this is the stuff you would actually hear on the radio and you might not hear a lot of the other stuff that was in different parts of the country, except for if it was like top 40 and the top 40 in the seventies and eighties, especially in the seventies, there were a lot of disco obviously, but then there was also a lot of yacht rock and uh, Light Donnie Rock and Donnie Marie, but there's also yeah. there is also a lot of James Taylor, but there's also stuff like Debbie Boone, and mm-hmm. so it is a lot of like the Carpenters. Nothing against the Carpenters, but it's oh, a lot wow. of that stuff that's not Fog Hat, you know. Yeah. Don't don't <laughs> besmirch the Carpenters. Yeah, I will besmirch the Carpenters. Well, I think too when you look at rock in the '80s, I mean, so much of it was like hair. They say hair metal, but like except Van Halen, pop metal. But yeah, pop, but yeah. like you know, poison, rat, crew, crew, yeah. yeah, like yeah, all of that like yeah. was very, and it was more about the look necessarily yeah. than it was about the music. Yeah, and you really didn't have a lot of bands in the tradition of like a lot of these bands, except again like a Van Halen mm-hmm. or you know I would say or I mean Aerosmith again still kind of popular in the late eighties, early nineties. Well, they had that comeback because by the by the time you hit the early well, mid Guns N' Roses, too. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, by by the time this comes out in the 90s, 
um, a lot of that glam metal. As it has died. Well, because you've had grunge. You've had grunge. Yeah. This fits really well with grunge. I think so. And well, because you can see a lot of the um, influence there. Yeah. So it has this, like, you know, it has the heavy, like, kind of not heavy guitars in terms of, like, the metal guitar, but, like, kind of a... Very crunchy guitar. Crunchy guitar. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. well, and, you know, like, one of my favorite Nirvana songs is their cover of The Man Who Sold the World mm-hmm. uh, by Bowie. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, obviously that was a great cover yeah. because I think a lot of their music was in the tradition of a more authentic sound, I guess, versus yeah. Poison. Yeah. The, the other song that I didn't mention that was uh, Nazareth's Love Hurts, which is easily the cheesiest song. I hate that song. song. It's such a cheesy song. I think that's what they're playing when they go to the rec center and Hirschfelder's making out with that girl. Yeah. Um, at, the, at the junior high dance and stuff like that. This was an album that got... Um, I had... Uh, you know, I'd seen the movie before school came out. It was before senior year started. And then my friend... I remember getting in Rich Murray's car and he had the tape and he was playing the slow ride. I'm like, it sounded familiar. It's like, oh yeah, this whole, this whole album is all the seventies rock. I was like, this is, so to me it was like, oh, this is really cool. I didn't, you know, wasn't, so I I eventually got, um, eventually got all these. This is one of the few CDs that we overlapped on when we, uh, I had both ones and you had, we both had the, the first ones. This is one of the few CDs we overlapped on when we, Combine our music Now I'm so curious as to what other ones were overlapped. Um, a, a couple Reality of Dave Bites Ma- soundtrack. Reality Bites soundtrack. A couple of Dave Matthews albums. Stone Temple Pilots. Stone Temple Pilots is probably was another big one. Um, the Batman Forever soundtrack. No. Jewel. Jewel. We uh, Green Day. You had. Did you have Dookie? No, I think I had. You the- had Insomniac. So we kind of overlapped as or, a band. No, I did have Dookie. I didn't. I don't remember. Yeah, no, yeah. It was a long time ago. We, we overlapped with <laughs> Green Day as well. But um, yeah, but then other than that, it was... Yeah. That's what the mean, value of, of combining our collection. We have almost a definitive collection of 90s. Yeah, you mean you, you didn't come with your own copy of Janet? No. Oh. No. Well, my sister, that's what I'm for. My sister had Janet. Well, everybody had Janet, yeah, so. but you apparently. Yeah. I did have Get a Grip, but I actually gave it, traded it to my sister for her um, copy of Pearl Jam's Verses. Okay. So, I guess to close this out, because the <laughs> next movie, well, the next movie I'm going to do, and this is part of, this is the second of three movies. American Graffiti was the first. This was the second the third one I'm going to do is The Big Chill, which is, is a different flavor of a movie. It's, it's a nostalgia flick that takes place in the 80s, but is essentially about nostalgia for the 60s. But American Graffiti turned 50 years old this year. This turns 30. Oh, God. That movie turns 40. So it was a really cool yeah. year to do this. Well, and they're all, yeah. you know, they're all kind of cap. If yeah. they were if they were sitcoms or serials, yeah. they these are they're all capsule yeah. episodes. Yeah. They all take place within like a certain time yeah. period yeah. or, you know, everybody's kind of forced together like the big chill, they're all like going to the yeah. getting together and Yeah. Well, so there's there's two things questions I would have and and maybe somebody who's listening but uh, we point out it would have been interesting to see a movie like this in a place like the Bronx and you have a lot of black and mm-hmm. Latinx characters because it's a totally different. Well, baby, let's do the right thing. No, but I mean, 
the you mean like the day the day of the out? school the, the the days and confused thing is it's like you know they're I mean like, like you know, what would the last day of school look like in the Bronx yeah and like in a, in a, in a retro type of movie like you oh, know, take, okay. take days and confused last day of school 1976-77 put it in some put it in an, in an environment where like it's not as white yeah. As it is here, because there's literally one black character in this entire movie. Um, well, that's the other thing. No, you in Texas, there ain't one Latino, Latinx yeah. person yeah. in this whole that, movie. That was interesting to me too. But I, you ain't got no, yeah. you ain't got nobody there. Yeah, you don't have any Hernandezes, Cortezes, yeah, so Morales, was, nothing. That was that was pretty interesting to me. Um, As but the it daughter of a Mexican American, it would be interesting to see that move. This movie played out, uh, you know in the background of, I don't know, early hip-hop breakdancing culture, or something like that, as a retro piece. Yeah. Um, I, I, maybe there is one out there, but I, I don't know what it is. The other question I have, too, is this is this is where, um, where I'm like, do, do we need this? It is, they did this for the for the 50s and 60s with American Graffiti, and we did this for the 70s with Days of Confused. Is it necessary to even do this movie set in, this type of movie set in 1990? five or even or the 80s or the 90s like our particular generation would you know grab somebody who is of our generation directing a movie and have them do that type of movie about our childhood or are our movies so prevalent that it's not necessary i I was just thinking about something similar where i was like what would a movie i almost think like what would a movie of the early 2000s look like Mm -hmm. like or even 2010 like, yeah. what would that, and I wouldn't know, because 2010, I was sleep-deprived mother of three-year-old. <laughs> it would look like the back of my eyelids. That's what it would look like. But, like, you know, what would that look like? And what, yeah, like, what would 1995 look like? And, you know, I think it would really, again, it would really depend on the place and who, what kind of community you were looking at. Because I feel, I mean, again, I'm biased, but I feel like Gen X is, like, one of the final generations where you could do a movie like that and they would be just as free to wander around Mm -hmm. as they were nobody's parents gave two shits where these kids were yeah and i don't think they i mean like they're i mean the only reason why i mean i think about like my high school years i think it would be interesting Mm -hmm. not interesting enough to make a movie but like you know, a community where pe- like people are driving and they're just driving around, yeah. or we're all latchkey kids and our none of our parents are home. Yeah. Or you know, whatever. Like, what would that look like? And what would it look like where you know we've all like we've all there is this social conscious stuff kind of coming up. Like you know, you've yeah. got a lot of pe- you've got a lot of teenagers who are feeling very earnest about things. You've got the rise of hip hop, but it's also I mean, like you're it's it's clashing with country, it's clashing mm-hmm. with pop. I think it could be really interesting. I think it would yeah. just depend on who, what, what kind of group you focused on. Yeah, and what's the event? Because I'm trying to think of because there are certain things that, that I can identify with either in Dazed and Confused for either myself, people I knew in high school or generation. The the driving around with nothing to do. Oh yeah. Part of it, which was great too. It was the, there was you know. We both grew up around that. Sooner or later, you end up somewhere. If yeah. it's not a person's house, it's like a diner. A diner. Yeah. 
that part of it. And in my in my town, I don't know about where you grew up. There was a lot of drinking in the woods. Oh yeah, that's you know? why that's when you said they all go that, drinking yeah. in the woods, I'm like, oh, yeah. you should have didn't take place in Stafford. Yeah, like you know, and and there was you know, it's there there was Lotus Lake at the end of between Sable and Bayport, and that was like you know where everybody went to drink, or they went to. There were a couple of other places, but the whole idea of oh, we're going to go get trashed in the woods is like that's a Friday night in my hometown. So th- I think that's another reason that a lot of people I knew, especially in high school love this movie because there were, they could identify with that too, which was really interesting. You know, I think about the nineties, the two thousands, it's like with a movie like this, you have to have a reason to get certain characters out of the house from playing video games or, or something. There's a lot of, there's a lot of homebodiness to, um, kind of our, our part of the generation. That's why we were so good during lockdown. And, um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, but I mean, but the, the cool thing about the, the one thing is too, like, you know, you can find a kind of universal sort of setting for it for the time, because this is the last day of school and the last day of school always was kind of chaotic, crazy, pent up energy finally being released. American Graffiti sec- is set the night before Richard Dreyfus and Ron Howard's characters are supposed to fly east to college. Mm. So it's the last night of summer. So that's the last night of innocence, so to speak. And so if you can find something like that, I'm sure. But you also have to have had, like, again, there was the party that got busted in this movie. And then they end up with the Wooderson party at the Moon Tower. You yeah. know, that whole thing. So that you you have to plot it so that it kind of yes. follows a, a common thread. But it would be interesting to see um, in the mid-1990s to late-1990s, because I think if you were to, if, if, if we, this were like 50, 10 years later from our now, so if we were, were talking about this, it was 2033 or whatever, it becomes a weird movie because, and I hate to say this, I hate when people say this, the existence of cell phones and social media. Because now there's no cell phones in this movie, whatever. But if you think about trying to make a retro film about teenagers, like the Gen Z teenagers, where they're all putting their damn lives online, that becomes an even weirdly more complicated movie because of the consequences for this. Because there are no real consequences for like getting drunk and stuff like that and having a crazy night. That's why I think you know our generation is the last generation that could actually kind of do whatever they want. I mean, I how many times was I college when I was in college? I'm so glad we didn't have cell phones and social media back then. Yeah, like what? Like absolutely not. Like oh my god, I would have never been able to like. I don't know, but no, but you're right. I mean, we we, every single person in our generation has said that at one point or another. I'm so glad Facebook didn't exist or Instagram didn't exist when I was in college. Unless, you know, if you were to make a movie about like, you know, a Gen Z millennial type of thing where social media, I mean, maybe that's, you know, that's the driver of the plot, you know, like they thought they got away with it, but somebody posted a Snapchat about somebody else and the like, whatever. I mean, you know. it, yeah, it, and it might be an even actually a good version of something like The Hangover, yeah. where The Hangover, the whole premise of The Hangover is they're trying to figure out what they did the previous night. That movie, I'm sorry, that movie is fucking terrible. Oh yeah, it's bad. It's not funny at all. It's not. Um, but <laughs> but the concept is a cool concept, and I think with with a teen movie, that would be an, that would be that could be a fun movie if you get. But also. This movie could have been utter shit yeah. with a bad cast. Um, because, like, the cast commits, 
Linklater is going for a true authenticity to it. It could have been like an utter trash sort of movie in the bargain bin of the video store that is like the dead last rental that you find. Whereas this is one of those movies from the video age, especially, you know, like the office space or empire records or something that did nothing in the movie theater and yet became like everybody watched this movie on video. It got, it got passed around like <laughs> it got passed yeah, around to, to piece to people, to people. And it became this cult hit. And, um, I, you know, there are movies that are getting to be like that still, you know, it, it's just a different um, method of consuming them and they come around and stuff like that. And people pick them up years later and I'm so glad that still happens, but it's well, like, you know how it's happening now, which is interesting is TikTok. Yeah. People are posting clips of like movies to TikTok yeah. and then it, they're starting to, yeah. I see, and I, and I see that because people are like, what movie is this in the yeah. comments? And you see that, oh, I'm going to go see that. And you see, and sometimes I don't know what the movie is, but I like recognize the actor yeah. or the actress or something. So it's really, really cool to see that. But I'm glad like we have that movie and we have that movie as a good movie, not some movie that's actually kind of shitty, but everybody kind of would have liked it ironically back in the day. And now it's just kind of a nostalgia hit in the way that like, I don't know, Girls was or something, or like you but know, that's a cult classic. Yeah. Or there, I mean, there are teen movies from the eighties that are just they're, they're actually really terrible movies, but people like love them just for because you know they saw them on cable thirty thousand times or something. Are you saying you don't really love Teen Witch? Well, I can't. divorce. <laughs> I, I can't top that. Uh. <laughs> but you know there are. But this is a genuinely good movie, and it, it makes you feel good about like the fact that our generation has these movies especially when we had to hear boomers for years talk about how we had you know what does your generation have because boomers love to preen about trauma and a large therapy bill dad that's what we've got actually my dad's so old he's silent generation but still you can find this on various places um yeah dude it's airing on uh, August 30th at 1.30 p.m. and 8.30 p.m. on MTV2. Friday, <laughs> September 1st at 7.15 on IFC. Saturday, September 2nd at yeah. 1.15 IFC. So it's not hard to find. <laughs> American Graffiti was on Netflix. Um, this And they can all be rented for on like Amazon, obviously, and stuff like this. And this is not hard to find. It's not It's not like Pump Up the Volume, which is a pain in the ass to find oh, because of the music rights. I love that movie. I have it on Blu-ray. So this is another one. It's like go out and watch this movie and watch it beyond the stoner aspect of it because there's that's a not lot, even the most interesting. It's part it's of it. way deeper than as funny as Slater and Wooderson are. It's way deeper than that, and I think that's what uh, that's what makes this such a long lasting movie. So thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me once again. Okay, all right, and I will be back to close things out. And I'd like to thank Amanda for coming on once again. I had a really, really fun time talking about that. A couple of recommendations I can make. Of course, going and watching that movie, uh, Linklater did a spiritual sequel to it a number of years ago called Everybody Wants Some, which is about baseball players in college in the early 1980s. So that's worth checking out if you can find it as well. As for me, I know I mentioned The Big Chill, which is the third in this trilogy of movies. That'll be coming up in about a month or two. I have to get uh, my schedule aligned with my guests, and we're going to sit down and talk that movie. But next episode is going to be our annual tradition of covering the Baltimore Comic Con. It's taking place on September 8th, 9th, and 10th. 
2023. So Brett's going to come with me for our September 9th trip up there, and you're going to hear us talk about what we got at the con and maybe even get some creator interviews, etc. So until then, please feel free to leave me feedback, send me likes, leave me messages and reviews everywhere you can. And as always, thank you very much for listening and take care. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit, which is produced by me, Tom Panneries. All clips are copyright their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This podcast is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you can find at twotruefreaks.com. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show get noticed by other people. Feedback via email can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. For show notes and essays and other things random in the world of popular culture, visit popcultureaffidavit.com. You can also follow this show on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit and on Twitter at popaff, that's P-O-P-A-F-F. Thanks for listening, and come back next time for more pop culture randomness. You can ride with us, man, but you're riding in the back because I got shot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, 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 hey.